one of the best things I've done for myself is to borrow for my foral. Can use that money to go invest in land, your cryptocurrencies, leverage against your own money and pay yourself back with interest rather than a bank or something else. Such a great starting place. Use and uh, leverage and in getting into other assets. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Hi, great to listeners. If you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, the topic of the discussion is I know I'm not a big fan of financial planners. We've made it pretty common, pretty known in this uh, almost, hitting almost 100th episode. And I don't know when you're listening to it, maybe we already exceeded that. We're well past that. So my point of view on the financial planner is pretty common. So today I thought I'll actually bring a financial planner who I really think that is has its heart set in the right way because the way he is building his own financial legacy is depending on the knowledge that he has had and, and experience he had in helping several clients with establishing their financial plan, but is also using the similar strategies and then some for his own portfolio. So then we'll get a glimpse into his portfolio and a perspective on financial planning from what he does to have multiple streams of income, which is going to set him and his family up for a very different financial future than what it would have been if they didn't have the multiple streams of income. The guest of today's show is Dave Denniston. Dave, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, sir. Awesome, man. Dave, before we get started into your background, beyond what I just already shared, I would love to hear from you. When you heard the term migrate to wealth, what does that what 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 does it mean to you? It means means a lot of different things to me. You know, I think of the American dream, first of all, just migrating to wealth. You know, so many people that come that I work with have come from other countries yeah. and they're they're pursuing the American dream of having that white picket fence and overflowing finances to provide for them and their families that are back overseas and everywhere else. So I think of that of it. I think of too just kind of the journey of getting to try to be wealthy or to be wealthy, right? It's yeah. it's a journey to get there. It's not an overnight success for most of us. If right. We're doing it. And what does the term wealth mean to you, Dave? I think certainly, right, financially yeah, <laughs> definitely. is a big yeah. part of it, right? You know, just in having abundant resources, whether it's cash itself or assets, like real estate, uh, certainly cryptocurrencies or anything like that. You know, holistically, it's it's all of those things that, that give you a, a wealthy 
financial status. Of course, too, you know, wealth to me means wealth in your spiritual uh, yeah. journey and growth, wealth in your family, and uh, wealth in, in having a great relationship with your spouse. Because guess what? If you get divorced, that's one of the most expensive things yeah. that could happen that yeah. impacts your financial. Expensive, non-financial investment you'll ever make. <laughs> Absolutely. Some of us choose poorly. Some of us yes. choose great. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Dave. So let's dig deeper into your journey into wealth. Give us a little bit of perspective on how did you migrate or how are you migrating into wealth? Yeah, yeah. Let, let me give a little bit of a, a family background if that's okay. So I grew up in Southern California. Most of my family, there there wasn't a ton of wealth. Everyone was like blue collar workers, yeah. teachers, post office workers, plumbers, those kinds of people. I did have an example in my my family that my great uncle and aunt, she was a secretary. He worked for Union Pacific Railroad. They really weren't making much, but they socked away a lot of money over time. They mm-hmm. bought real estate wealth. They had this beautiful house in Redondo Beach, California, overlooking the ocean. And well, they didn't have a lot of fancy material things. They ended up accumulating millions of dollars in wealth from nothing. And they were always a shining example to me. My folks did pretty well for themselves. My dad was a chemist. My mom was an accountant. But neither of them you know, really had tons and tons of money. But over time, they invested in some real estate. They invested in their K's and other stuff to be multimillionaires. Not that they're decamillionaires, billionaires, or anything else, but definitely very middle class. For me personally, from my Aunt Margaret I was just talking about, I was very blessed to receive an inheritance when she passed away, along with other members of my family. And so I was really determined to do the best I could do with it. And so at the time, I was actually a salaried guy working for another financial advisor. And at the time, I we ended up buying a house and we were able to buy it with no debt because of the inheritance. We had car loans, student loans. Yeah. And I got to a point where I really wanted to take some risk. And I graduated college in 2003, and this is now 2000 and, and late 2007, early 2008. And so I ended up acquiring a financial planning clients and moved my family and I from Seattle, Washington, out to here in Bloomington, Minnesota, where I am today, 15 years ago. It was August 1st, 2008 with wow. horrible timing. And so I didn't have enough money to do the acquisition. It was literally a $3 million business acquisition of which a million dollars was down. And I literally poured all of my inheritance into it, plus borrowed from my folks and other family along the way. And so here I went from no debt to now all I had was debt. And I had a fledgling business during the worst possible time in 2008, just as Lehman Brothers and AIG and Washington right. Mutual and all these these things were going bankrupt. And so it was very, very tentative and tenuous for a year. It's like, oh my gosh, what the heck have I just done? At the time, my oldest daughter was three. And I, I really decided at that particular moment in time and going through that, I never wanted to be solo dependent again on one string yeah. And so I went on this journey of figuring out kind of what am I good at? What am I not good at besides financial planning, which I love and enjoy? 
And to make a long story short, along the way, I tried a number of different things. Amazon FBA business, acquired a mobile gaming kit business, ended up getting into land flipping. And those, those other two things kind of faded away. Uh, but land flipping has been a great additional source of income for me on top of my business, my financial planning business, which I do as well. Right. So Dave, let, let's talk about from your journey, right? So you are uh, in a traditional sense a financial planner and still are. And the way, and I believe, and you tell me if I'm wrong, the way a financial planner really makes money is not in the planning, most of them. They make the money at the by, by advising them and managing people's money in stock market and other products of that nature. But they did, I mean, there's different different business models, but predominantly this has been a more common one. But there's definitely other flat fee models and everything else that's there. And I don't know which one are you, but we don't need to go into that. But it's really more important as in when you shifted your perspective from not having a single source of income, right? That you'll never want to have a single point of failure again in your life. Whatever that meant for you, for you, that meant is your business, however good or bad it was, you didn't want everything to be blocked by that business. You were like, you know what? I'm going to make money in multiple different ways so that if one stream of income gets impacted, the others still can. Correct? So that's the thesis behind your decision-making. Now, when you look at it from a, how much mental resistance you had to surpass, because if you are telling people that, or at least you're advising your clients, predominantly the stock market, predominantly in the business of saying that, hey, you know what, stock away money in K, and then you are trying to break away from your own paradigm shift. And I'm sure since then you've brought that into your practice as well in telling people. But at that moment, when you were making that transition happen, what was the mental resistance, of any, that you were facing? Because you're trying to do something very different. And now all of a sudden you have to do something more entrepreneurial than something that you understand, which is a financial planning business, because that's exactly where you were in. That's exactly what you bought. And now you were trying to venture out of that. So what was going through your mind at that time? It's a good question. I would say probably what, what was going through my mind was, number one, I wanted to pay back my relatives, my folks in particular, for believing in me and investing in me. And I didn't want to let them down because it was going to take forever to get them paid back. Right. From. And so that was a huge motivation for me that I can't let down my family. Yeah. And uh, I believe we were led here to Minnesota for a reason, and maybe this was it. And I think a lot of it for me just had to do with curiosity. You know, I've seen other people do it. I suck at, at working with my hands. You know, I'm not a very handy guy. So the idea of bricks and flips and managing toilets and tenants and all that kind of stuff really didn't appeal to me. And so I looked for things that could match my skill set that I had while still creating wealth. And so as I found it, then I wanted to share it with everybody, right? Of, and that's why I'm here, you know, is certainly there is a place, in my opinion, in, in what should be everyone's portfolio for stocks, bonds, funds, that kind of thing. But also for those that are driven enough to do it, there should be a place for creating multiple streams of income and doing other things. But I'll tell you, it's not for everybody either, right? Because plenty of people, they're doing their thing. They're providing for their families. They're working hard. They don't want to take the time and effort and energy to right. create other multiple streams of income. And that's okay. 
on the other hand, there's people that feel the other way. I want to take it all on myself and not, you know, invest in something that I don't understand necessarily. That's okay too. Correct. Um, but I believe there's room in it for everybody to do something. It's just, will you take the time and effort and energy to figure it out? So let, let's talk about that. Who is it good for and who is it not good for? So I think we had a, uh, before we went on air, we were talking about there's definitely a way to, when you're starting out and you may or may not have a lot of money, let's talk about people who don't have a lot of money. So maybe you didn't, maybe your dad and mom are, are your, you don't have an aunt or whatever, right? You didn't have the privilege of being in money. Now you're starting out from your job and whatever you make is whatever you make. Sometimes it's easiest to go the 401k route. It's just because it's there. It doesn't mean it's, a, it's the safest or not safest, but it's there and it's the uh, lowest hanging fruit. Tell, tell, tell us more about it and then let's kind of build on that. Yeah, for those that have a W-2 and you're not a business owner, right? I mean, usually in most 401ks, there's a match. And so you're getting a 50% or 100% rate of return on your money just for participating in the darn thing, ignoring what else is happening in the market, right? So that's 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 an easy choice by me, at least in my opinion. Yeah. You know, if people have employee stock purchase plans or something like that, you can get a 15 to 25% discount for participating in the employer stock. So, right. you know, there's a lot of incentives to do it and it's a good thing because otherwise a lot of people just wouldn't save, right? Most people don't necessarily have the discipline to watch their money and it's easier for them just to take some money out every single month so they never see the dang thing and the money's hidden away and socked away because it really comes down to discipline as much as anything else. And for some people that discipline is what works. No, I agree. I think, I think that's what we're saying is that in that regards is especially starting out, the temptations are pretty high. Right? Kind of like, oh, here I made my 20K, 40K, 100K, 200K, whatever your first check is, doesn't matter. But it is your first check. It's very, very tempting to say that I'm going to go buy whatever the next thing is. Like I was remember, I was listening to Mark Cuban the other day. He bought the most plush towel because that's what he wanted. Right? Somebody's going to go out and buy a car. Somebody's going to go buy rent a beautiful apartment, whatever, whatever they want to do. You're going to have your your vice, whatever that is, and a desire. But if you actually use a vehicle which takes away the money before it hits your bank account, you're removing, you're, you're basically building a barrier from that temptation. That the money never, you never see that money. Yeah, you earn that money because it's part of your paycheck, but you never saw it because it's taken away before it even hits you. So it becomes building that mechanism of saving where you're saving because the vehicle is there and what you don't see you probably don't even watch for right it doesn't pain you that much and, I, and I'll go back I'll, I'll, you're an expert in that Dave but I remember when when I was reading a book when I was starting out I didn't invest for the longest time for 401k it was probably not the smartest thing because I lost a match but I remember thinking about this in a way that you know what what good is that going to do by me carving out $10,000? Why don't I go buy something else for it? Whatever that. Yeah. I didn't understand. I didn't grasp. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at math, but I actually didn't understand compounding. I understood compounding when it talks about mathematical formula, but I actually didn't look at compounding as a way to use that in your own life. And that's where I think a lot of folks are looking and waiting for best opportunity to save, 
to deploy their capital, whatever, what may, what it may not be, it's they're not thinking about the velocity of money, the compounding factor that if you start investing early enough, if it's not in stock market, if it's in anything else, the faster your money grows is the faster you're going to get out of a situation. And the sooner you start investing, the compound is going to work in your favor, not against you. So tell, and first of all, Dave, does that ring a bell? Does it does that make sense to you? If it does, what is your perspective on that? Gosh, no, you said it so well <laughs> with in terms of the those kinds of of basic things. The the thing I would point out to a lot of folks too is when you put money in a 401k, for example, it's not locked in there forever. Yeah. One of the best things I've done for myself is to borrow for my 401k. Yeah. So, you know, you, you put money in there and then if you have a hundred grand, you can borrow up to 50% of it, 50 grand. If you have 30, 75 grand, you could borrow about 38,000 from your 401k. Right. Then, then you could use that money that you're paying yourself back with interest to go buy a house, a rental house. You could use that money to go invest in land. You can use that money to invest in cryptocurrencies or whatever and leverage against your own money and pay yourself back with interest rather than a bank or something else. Such right. a great starting place with which, which was then to you know use and uh, leverage and in getting into other assets. And I think that's important because what you're saying now is that you put that money in tax-free. Now you're not going to take it out tax-free if it's 401k. If it's traditional 401k, not a fraud 401k, we can go, I don't think we'll have the time to go into the details of it, but for folks listening to, who are ardent listeners of the show, you'll understand what that means. But what we're saying is that you put that money tax free, now you're taking a loan on it and you're actually paying yourself. Now someone, it's a little bit counterintuitive, right? A little bit counterintuitive because what we're saying is that you're paying yourself more money. Why would I do that? So let me tell you my perspective and Liv, I would love to hear your perspective on that. So let's say you took the loan from your 401k at, I don't know, nowadays probably six, 7% interest rate because that's what the CD would be at 5 to 7%. Let's say on a high-end 7% interest rate. And you put it into an investment vehicle, which I have access to, and I'm pretty sure a lot of you have as well. There are vehicles available like that, which is actually giving you 10 12% real return, right? Now you're saying is, yeah, you have to pay that 7% back, but you're also borrowing that money, which is making you 12% approximately. We'll just make up a number, 12%. The delta is 5%, right? It's really where the delta is where the money is made because the arbitrage, the concept of arbitrage, it's the technical term where banks make their money. They take our deposits and they give us, nowadays a little bit more, but historically 1%, less than 1%. Right? And they would deploy it to on a loan or something, which is going to be at 2, 3, 4, 5%. So they're making a spread between what they're charging as a loan versus what they're giving you as an interest on deposit. There's a delta and you're using the same concept. Now you're creating, you're leveraging the, the biggest, the highest power of a financial institution, which is leveraging and arbitrage. Is what you're doing is you're putting the money into 401k tax-free because you didn't pay any taxes on that, borrowing against it. So you got the tax benefit first, then you're borrowing against it and you're deploying in an asset which is giving you way more interest rate a uh, rate of return than the interest rate that's being charged, right? And that's really where now, if you take that money out at 7%, it 
but you deploy an asset that gives you 2%, that's a negative yield. That's not, that may not be the smartest thing. And that's, I mean, this is not a personal discussion. This is not a personal advisory session, so we can't really tell you what's good for people or not. But in broader sense, that's not what we're talking about in generalities. Now, there may be situations where it makes sense, and we can always have a discussion on that. But that's really where, why, Dave, you're saying is that borrowing sometimes makes sense, but because, yeah, you're paying yourself back, but you're making some use of that money. If you went and went and spent that money on a Ferrari, <laughs> no, don't do it. May not be the best the best way, best reason to take a loan from a phone. Because that was never the goal. So the goal is to always see how can you enhance that investment rather than deplete it. Because at this point, you're depleting if you went and bought consumption-oriented assets. So thoughts on that, Dave? Well, I would point out to people, so many times, wealth to me, it starts out, can start out so small. You know, just think of you're at the top of a mountain. It's snowing. You know, you can catch some snowflakes together, maybe make a little snowball out of it, right? And that's this initial process just talking about. Yeah. Now, you, you get a get big enough snowball, you start pushing it down the top of the mountain. It can gain and get bigger and bigger until eventually you can create an avalanche. And that's what we're talking about here with arbitrage. First, you saved up money, which is great. So you have a snowball in your hands. You can't just start it easily without having right. something going, you know. And so you have to do that initial process. And then you can get into this whole process of the rather than a, a vicious cycle, a virtuous cycle of saving, where now you have more and more assets, you can leverage it or leverage someone else's money. Now that you have that fallback cushion in case everything goes to hell in a handbasket, right? You have backup yeah. for it. And you can constantly make that backup bigger and bigger, if at all possible. And then you go out and buy more stuff using other people's money. For example, for me personally, I use the 401k loan. I also went and got 0% interest rate credit card debt. So I got a business line of credit, which then I would tap. right? And then I would use a 0% interest rate credit card, which, which cost me less interest and do a balance transfer. So now I'm paying 3% or 4% over 18 months or 12 months rather than the 6 or 7 or 8% today, 10 or 11 or 12% that a credit line, my business line of credit. Offer, right. Right? So I'm, And then I'm doing what you're just saying, rather than paying 7 or 8%, well, now I'm paying 3 or 4 and I'm making 15 or 20 or 25%. Correct. So now I'm really able to get a bigger and bigger snowball and eventually, you know, an avalanche as you build on, on these infrastructures. Love that, Dave. Dave, for, for the listeners who are, who are intrigued at this point, tell us more about how can they rebalance their portfolio? Right? Kind of like, you know, how we'll go back to the, some folks say, you know, what it's 60, 40 stock bonds, 40, 60, 20, 80, 80, 20, depending on who you are and what your philosophies are. That's kind of like the traditional plan, financial planning. But now we're looking into a world which is much broader, especially as you start bringing other asset classes inside of it and not just the paper asset classes. What is your philosophy in helping people develop a portfolio together where they're mixing and matching these portfolios? And let's talk somebody who is 40-year-old, who is, because that's an audience, in the 30s and 50s, and then who are fairly moderate risk level. Right? How would you 
suggest them they build their portfolio. They've been working for 10, 15 years now. So they have some some wealth built up, some more than the other. Some are still working towards it, but they have something to start to work with. So how would you start helping them build that portfolio? What would be your strategy? Well, the first question I would have is, what are they good at? What do they like? Mm-hmm. What do they enjoy? For me, I'm a spreadsheet kind of guy. Yeah. And I love numbers and studying numbers. And so for me, land flipping was a great fit. Someone else listening to this might be great with their hands. Yeah. And they're great at fixing stuff that <laughs> I suck at. So that kind of person might be great, for example, at fix and flips in order to create some sweat equity into a property. Someone else may just be absolutely fascinated with data centers or I don't know, just name things that spit on mm-hmm. the There's many different avenues to get there. I think it's really an intersection of three things. It could be a digital business like the one I bought. Number one, what do you have a passion for and what are you interested yeah. in? Number two, does it make money? Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. That's, no. that's very important. Uh, and number three, can you scale it? Right. To, to me, those are the three important criteria. Because if you hate it, you're not going to keep at it. Right. Th- there's plenty of opportunities for people to invest relatively passively in other people's stuff. I personally don't like that. I would rather you have a portfolio of things that you have control mm-hmm. over because. That way you decide what you want to do yeah. and want to do. So for me, control is a big deal. Maybe I'm just a control freak. I don't know. But I see too many situations of people getting taken advantage of. Definitely. And that's why I, I personally don't manage land stuff for other people. I'll teach you how to do it, but I'm not going to do it for you. That's something you have to do for yourself. Yeah. Um, so as you look at the portfolio, it to me, it depends on how wealthy you want to be. Like, are you trying to... Cre- be a decamillionaire or are you cool with, you know, hey, if I have two or three million bucks, man, I'm set. So if you look at some of the most wealthy people in the world, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, they, they invested obviously in stocks. They were founders of companies that went public. So much of their wealth was concentrated in one thing, yeah. right? So I think the same is true for many people building wealth. You have to be really enjoy something and you got to be all in. And you don't have to necessarily have a balanced portfolio, meaning, oh, I need to have self-storage, farm yeah. and multifamily and, and coffee trees and you know whatever else. You don't, in my opinion, you don't have to do all of that, but you can kind of go a vertical in something, meaning, or horizontal in something, meaning like, for example, let me take land as an example, something that I personally understand really well. I can buy and sell land myself. I could lend to other people that are buying and selling land. I could provide equity to other people buying and selling land. I can have masterminds around land. I can, of course, scale my team and scale all of these ventures. All of those meet all those criteria I just talked about because I can scale more deals. I can finance more deals. I can grow my own company. I can have multiple masterminds and have people helping me do those. So all of those things are things that can be scaled. So those are all different ways I'm trying to diversify within my own portfolio. 
And just because I'm curious and like to try new things, I'm also getting interested in self-storage. Now, to answer your question, I think, and for me, this is what I do in my own personal finances. Every month, we're putting money away in our 401ks. We're maxing those things out because we have the ability to. Every month, uh, now that we've paid off our mortgage, we're putting away two or 3,000 bucks a month on top of the 401ks into a non-qualified account. But then I'm also growing my land business. This way I have liquid monies that if all this stuff goes to hell in a handbasket, it's available. Right. But uh, I'm also still trying to scale and grow my land business at the same time using other people's money and capital and all of those things we were just talking about without having to put now at this point, now I've grown it to a certain point, put my own equity into it, you know, regularly. So that that's how I think about that is get more, I guess, vertical, right? Would be the right term. Horizontal being doing other things. Yeah. So get get more vertical within the space, just in the same way that like an oil company, right? They'll own the gas station. They'll have the refinery. They'll sell jet oil as well as right. Gas, right. gas station type stuff. So that's, that's how I think about it. You know, get really deep in something and then kind yeah. of spread out. That, that's a great advice, Dave, because I think what you want, what you're basically saying is you have I mean, again, every every approach works for different people. Dave, what you're describing your approach as being is you tried different different verticals and you were trying to figure out which vertical really resonates. Now, you ask, most people ask the question differently. They ask the question is, how which business can give me the most amount of money, right? But you actually ask the question very differently as in, what am I passionate about? Or what am, what's the first question? What am I not passionate about? Because it's usually an easy answer. It's, a short, it's usually a shorter list. Because you already know what you don't like to do. For example, you and I come from the same cloth. I cannot even lift a hammer. Or I don't want <laughs> I tell my wife I don't want to lift a hammer, but I don't think I can. I don't tell her that. That's not my stat. I'm sure I can learn it, but that's not excites me. Same with you. So understanding what you're passionate about, or at least what could get you passionate about, is important. Then you figure out in that passion what's going to make you money. Right, so if money is the goal, because you have to also figure out maybe money is not your goal, and if not, that's perfectly fine. But of course, we're right now talking about financial wealth and making sure that you can get there too. But then you figure out where does it make sense? Where does the intersection happen? The last but not the least is that going to become a single source of revenue for you? Like in your case, you're saying about land flipping is once you understood what it is, once you scaled it to a certain point, now you're looking to diversify within the land business. Right, masterminds, courses, training, assisting other people, and maybe adjacencies, self-storage, and everything else, because everything is built upon the land. And then, then you basically sky's the limit of what else can you add to that portfolio, but you went deep into one and made sure that you perfected that to the level you felt comfortable with, and then you started bringing other things into the mix so that you can you can start growing that business. Uh, is that, did, I, did I get it right, Dave? Is that right on the head, my friend? You did awesome. great. Perfect. Dave, well, this is great, man. So let's shift gears here in the interest of time. We're coming towards the end of our show. So one, two questions we really ask our audience is, what's one insight you would give your 20-year-old self? And this is really not for you to go change your life back. It's more for our listeners who are in that state right now where what it could have catapulted your migration into wealth. What would that one insight be? I think if if I was talking to a twenty year old, which which I do, I, I mentor quite a few college students at awesome. my alma mater. 
And what, what I often tell them is, you know what? You're so young. Experiment. Try. Learn about yourself. You know, like part of this journey for me has been learning what do I like and not like to do. Yeah. Amazon FBA business was something I really did not enjoy doing. I tried it though. And I, I looked to see if that if that was something maybe I, maybe it would have worked out. But for me, I just didn't like it. It wasn't yeah. the thing. And I think so many people get stuck on one way of doing things, one kind of thing. You have to experiment, man, and just just see what happens. And correct, correct. You may fail. I I bought that mobile gaming kit business. It didn't work out the way that I wanted to. But guess what? It led me to the next thing. Definitely that all those skills I've built up over the years, you know, it's, it's helped. Great, Dave. That's great, man. Next question. We're going to elevate the abstraction level right now. Where do you feel humanity as a whole should migrate to it? It's two decades. Humanity as a whole. Boy. Well, gosh, yeah, I'm sure it's been said many times, peace would sure be great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, Actually, you look at this whole... Look at Ukraine and what's happening there and concerns over Taiwan and what might be happening there. It's scary stuff. You know, think about the weapons we have today. You know, it's uh, peace. One button, awesome. one button could destroy the world. Isn't I know. It's, and, now, and now we're looking at AI and Terminator and the Matrix, you know, feels like it's <laughs> that much closer to where we are today. But I, I personally, you know, have uh, hope in humanity and even though there's these dangers that we should be thinking about and, and talking about and being aware of, you know, I, I believe life will be better than, than it is today. Yeah. Justin Churchill once said about Americans, hey, they, they only come once you're like right to the brink, basically, you know, is, is what he had said. And when you look at stuff like climate change or concern with these kinds of things, you know, I believe we will change and we will find solutions and we'll, we'll be finding new technologies. I mean, who knows what could happen with mining in space. Definitely. There's so many cool things that are, we're right on the cusp, you know, another 10 to 20 years from now, we could very well be populating other planets or who, who knows uh, where things could go. So, I think there, there's exciting times ahead, and uh, I, I think we're just got to keep on innovating, and it all starts with yourself. You know, work on yourself, being the best person that you could be to make the difference you can in the world. Awesome, Dave. Well, thank you again for being on the show, buddy. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you, Dave? I'm many places. One of the things I didn't mention earlier is I do have my own podcast, which is financial planning primarily around doctors, so it's called uh, the Freedom Formula for Physicians, Dr. FreedomPodcast.com is, is that particular podcast. They can certainly find me and all my financial planning stuff at DavidDeniston.com. If people are curious to check out my land businesses, they can go to GenFamLand.com. So GenFamLand.com if you want to check out what we're doing in land. Awesome. Dave, again, thank you, buddy. Thank you for being on our show. Appreciate it. Thanks for all the insights and for all the listeners. Or listening to this part, that means you stay till the end. We would not have made this possible without your support, without you tuning into the show. Appreciate it. Let us know how we can help you further. Let us know if there's anything specific you want us to talk about in the future, any specific guests you would love to have. The show is going to be as good as we receive the feedback for. I definitely have my personal perspectives. 
but I would love to hear from you and see where we can take the show as, as we come into 2024. So thank you again. Have a great day. Until the next episode, we'll see you soon. Take My great to wealth listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangertofinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.